Welcome to another episode of Be Now. It's the show where nothing needs to happen because it's already happening. Be happening. Yeah, yeah. Ura, ura, la. So let's start with this. So, what does your alone time look like? What does me time look like for Johnny? Usually, alone time for me looks like trying to get right now in the springtime, getting outdoors as much as possible, putting myself in uncomfortable positions of physical strain. That is what I am doing these days. Physical um, strain. Yeah, yeah, and also um, working on my own little projects. Whether it's like music or podcasts or uh, or writing or applying for jobs in America, so yeah, do a lot of things with my alone time. But what does it mean to you? Like this alone time, what does it mean for you, man? It's the because I'm fairly extroverted. I think my me time is the way I can make decisions about my life without the influence of other people's thoughts. Uh, it seems pretty simple, but um, I think massive extroverts like myself kind of struggle with that. So. I fo- try to focus my me time on actually thinking about my own life and what my own opinions are mm. and try not to let that get influenced too much by the opinions of others. Um, that's where the value comes in alone time, I think, uh, especially for extroverts like me. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's valuable because it my, it's my compass. If I don't have my compass tuned up every week, then I'm not going to mm. go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. Look at that. Tuning yeah. your compass. Yeah, I got to tune up that compass. All right, all right. What's a hard thing you did recently? Yeah, no, the, it was uh, it was a week ago today on Sunday. Uh, I went for the first long bike ride in years for endurance training, but I went right. with a group of guys who are already really good, been training for years, and they all like to bike. Mm. Which is awesome. That's who you want to. That's who you want to learn from or get pushed by. But we went seventy-five kilometers, which I don't think I've ever done that distance in my entire life. That was insane. We went up, then down Long Chuan, Long Chuan twice, uh, which was thirteen hundred meters of elevation gain and drop. Which it basically translates to six hours of pure agony for my thighs. Six hours. Six straight hours of terribly difficult biking for me. So, what was the hardest part? The hardest part was going down, getting all the way up, feeling like I'd achieved exactly what I wanted. Awesome, made it to the top. Then we go down. We have an awesome bike all the way down the mountain, and I'm like, "Oh, great! We're gonna bike around the mountain. We're gonna go back home. Maybe another thirty k, but you know, it's flat. It'll be fine." No, instead we get to the bottom of the hill. And then everybody turns around and, and is going back up the mountain. And I'm just like, really? We're going to go back? We're going to do this again? That was the hardest part, just the realization. But then also, you know, you kind of accept your fate. Mm-hmm. And then after you kind of accept your fate and realize you're going to do it, then it's not that difficult anymore, even though it's painful the whole time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what what's going through your head? What got you through it? Like, uh, yeah, was there any, like self-talk or any kind of encouragement from the people around or what got you supporting through it 
Yeah, like I was the last one to make it up to like the resting points. Uh, and so it's, I think it's just basic camaraderie. Like I don't want to bitch out. I don't want to, mm. I don't want to not finish, mm. you know? So that was my only goal was just to survive. Survive and finish. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that I was doing that and I did not give up gave me more and more strength as it got longer. Like, the momentum you get from just not quitting three hours in means you can usually go for another three hours. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. that's and, yeah. and then you finished. Yeah. What is that feeling? Well, it was interesting. Uh, ben broke his derailleur on the way, like, up the last part of the mountain the second time. So he breaks his derailleur, and that slows him down, like, almost completely. So I kind of got, like... Not a break or something, because like, we were going to go down the hill, but we spent an extra couple hours basically getting Ben down the mountain, um, so it was not like a clean finish, and so we got down, we had a whole la la for his bike, and we went home then, but, oh, it felt great, man, I fell, I fell asleep in the whole la la in mm. the truck that mm. carried us back home, so it was mm. sweet. Brand yeah, nice. it was awesome. Very dope. Now, since you yeah. did that, now that goes in your... Um in your David Goggins calls it the cookie jar. Oh, whenever the cookie you, jar. Okay. You know about the cookie jar? No, I don't. I haven't heard about that yet. So whenever you do a difficult thing where you're, you know, your your quitting point is tested, yeah. you go to your hard things you've done in the past. Right. And that's your cookie jar. Oh. And that's like good I did point. that shit. I did that shit. So I can do this shit, you know? Yeah, no, actually one of my cross country buddies back in high school, he he would always say that. He's like, Hey, if we do it as hard or harder in training, then when race time comes around there's no there's no real pressure or something like, and so having done that, I know I can do it, um, will definitely help me when I'm going to like, maybe I'll try to do like a hundred laps in the pool, mm. which is, that's a lot. That's a lot of laps in the pool. I did like 20 the other day. Yeah. It gassed me out. It was, it was pretty hard, but now I'm like, all right, if I can do 20, I'm pretty sure I could do a hundred. So mm. yeah, that cookie jar is nice and Getting filled full up. up. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, you know, we live in a world where a lot of people have their judgments, implicit judgments, unconscious assumptions. And so, yeah, this is something I've been really obsessed about recently, yeah. which is um, misjudgments. You know, we all get misjudged. We have, I have my own misjudgments all the time. So I wonder for you, have you ever uh, you have misjudged someone later to realize or ever been misjudged? Definitely misjudged other people. I think that's because my heavy extroversion helps me to project my own sense of the world onto other people. So I, as an example, I will assume that my friends enjoy public speaking or something as much as I do. And so I'll kind of just take that for granted for them. When in reality, like I'm pushing them to do things they really don't want to do or something like that, or I'm encouraging them to be someone that they're not just because I am. So yeah, I misjudge people. I kind of put myself onto other people too much, I think. So I, I think that helps me misjudge people's character, like who they really are. Like some of my best friends in my life are all like, a lot of them are introverted uh, as a basic principle. And so I think what that does is it makes me, yeah, it makes me, like, since we know each other so well, I feel as comfortable with them as anyone else, but they won't feel comfortable with the world 
in certain our areas as much as I will. Mm-hmm. So that that's like a big misjudgment from my point of view. Um, I think the way that I'm misjudged or many extroverts are misjudged are that we're, um, we're like friends with anybody or we're play boys or play girls, like whatever you want to say, because we're so social. So being extrovert plays into your uh, interactions with people and how you present yourself. Yeah, I think so. Especially like I, I heard uh, Peterson say something that like the difference between like the 99th percentile of extrovert and the 100th percentile of extrovert is still a big difference. It's not, it's not a linear thing. So I, I consider myself to be like, like near a hundred percent extrovert. <laughs> so I think the difference between that and the 90 percentile extrovert is still a big difference. Mm. So I might be just dealing with this kind of stuff as a, as a function of that uh, hyper extroversion kind of thing. Yeah. So that goes back to the first question, alone time. So that is your compass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't often respect that either. It's not like I always achieve that. I'm just saying that if I get the right amount of introverted time, then I feel well-directed. Mm. I feel well-manifested or something. Mm. Yeah, but like what will oftentimes happen, I don't know if anyone else is like this, but... In the morning and the afternoon, like, it, you know, it's my time for extroversion or it's my time to be introverted and be away from people. And then by the time the evening rolls around, like, I kind of forget a lot of the rules that I set earlier in the day because I'm just hyped on the vibe. Mm. I'm hyped on other people. I'm going out. I'm pressing the flesh, you know, doing mm-hmm. what doing what I do. So mm. that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, stay hyped on the vibe, man. You know, you were my first best friend in Chengdu. Yeah, like six, seven years now. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh. Yeah, stay well man. You said well manifested. Stay, stay well manifested. You too, man. <laughs> Love you, brother. Okay.